This is your itinerary for travel and photography with your host, Rob Knight. Welcome to your itinerary. My name is Rob Knight, and this is episode number 26. Today's episode features my interview with uh, Joe Brady. Joe's a photographer and an educator and a workshop leader, and uh, you've probably seen him on YouTube in one of his more than 200 videos. He's got tutorials on everything from off-camera lighting to uh, landscape photography and everything in between. I'm sure you'll enjoy that. Now, by the time you hear this, I'll be in Costa Rica with my friend and colleague, Rick Garrity, and I wanted to take just a second to tell you about why we're going to be there. There's a, a group called Salvando Corazones, and it's a shelter and a safe house for young girls who are victims of sex trafficking in Costa Rica. The girls that they take in are between 9 years old and 18 years old. And my friends at Panasonic USA have donated cameras to the shelter, and Rick and I are going to be there for a couple of days with the girls to help get them started with their new photography therapy program. Now, the girls will be using the cameras as a creative outlet and a way to try and express things that they might not be able to express otherwise just through conversation, or they might be, you know, things they're so upset about that maybe the camera is the only way they can get that out. And Rick and I are really pleased to be a part of helping these girls. And we would appreciate it if you could take a moment to visit salvandocorazonescr.com and see what they're doing down there. And thanks again to Panasonic and to the Leaves and Lizards Volcano Cabin Retreat for making it possible for us to go and visit and help out with this wonderful cause. And now without further ado, here's Joe Brady. Welcome, Joe. and Thanks for being on the show. Hey, Rob. Good to see you again. Now, I've had requests from listeners to talk on the show about how to make better travel photos. And I know you're kind of a technical nuts and bolts guy, but uh, I want to talk to you today about what people can look for when they're shooting in order to make better travel photos. So, you know, travel photography involves many different styles of photography, different types of photography, from landscape to street photography to you name it. Um, is there any sort of style that you personally look for when you're in the field or are you just sort of responding to what you're seeing? I actually think there's kind of a handful of overarching things you can do that are going to make for a better photograph, whatever that subject medium happens to be, whether, whether it's a landscape or street photography or architectural. And when I teach workshops, the one thing I always challenge all my students with is ask yourself, why are you taking the picture? What is it in this scene that made you stop to want to take the picture? Now, is it just, well, I'm here and you just want to take a snapshot to record the moment? Then there's nothing wrong with that. It has its purpose. But if you're after creating great photography, you really have to ask yourself, what is it about the scene that stopped you to make you take that picture? Right. And, and that's, that's really important because that's what everybody does. You, you see a beautiful thing and you pick up your camera, you pick up your smartphone, whatever, and you, you just capture the beautiful thing. And I think that's the difference in how a photographer works and how just your average Joe works. No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, what can a photographer do to sort of uh, to go beyond that snapshot and, and is there, are there things you can practice in the field to, to get better at that? Absolutely, for sure. <clears throat> Another thing I would say is when you're looking through the viewfinder, uh, is it clear what you're asking someone else to look at when you're doing that? Uh, did you make your subject clear? Did you simplify it? Are there 10 different things in this particular scene that just really caught your eye? Well, that's lovely, but it's not going to work as a photograph. Uh, unless you're going to print this 100-inch wide print that people can just kind of uh, walk around and take a look at. 
pick a single subject, maybe a secondary subject, but keep it simple and make it obvious what it is you want to share. Right. I, I think that's a really important tip. If people can't tell what your picture is about, then then how are they going to enjoy it? And And the first step, as you said, is for you to decide for yourself what your picture is about. Yeah, do things like look around the edges, see what's in the frame. Is somebody photobombing your picture? Right. Uh, make sure that your subject is clear. Pay attention to things like where is the horizon? If there's a person in it, is it going right through their head? Uh, if This is something that I see happen all the time. Somebody will come across an interesting foreground and a great sky, and they can't decide which one they like better, so they put the horizon right in the middle, and you end up with this thing that's almost like two pictures. You're kind of ping-ponging up and down looking at the picture. Maybe it's two pictures. Shoot one with more sky, shoot one with more foreground, and see which one you like better. They might both work. They're just going to have different moods. Uh, another thing is, are there objects or are there things that are leading you into the subject? Uh, say, for example, you are shooting a mountain range that's beautiful. If it's just off in the distance and that's all there is, it's the kind of thing you look at and you say, that's nice, and then move along. But if you include some kind of foreground element, maybe it's a shrub or a bush or a fence or something leading off, when you have a foreground, a midground, and a distant element, it creates a much more three-dimensional view of this two-dimensional medium, and it makes for a much more interesting photograph. Absolutely. And I find when I'm leading workshops in, uh, say, a place like Costa Rica, everything's beautiful everywhere you look. So the hardest thing is to is to help people to sort of narrow that down. Okay, that's a cool. You, you see the volcano. What can we put in the foreground to to make it a complete photograph? Because taking a snapshot of the volcano is just the thing that everybody does. That's not how a photographer sees. So to take that time and put all those elements together is is a challenge, I think, for some people. Yeah, an analog uh, for for a lot of workshops we do is we shoot a lot of waterfalls. Mm -hmm. And I've learned over the years that shooting an entire shot of the entire cascade of a waterfall is pretty boring, again, unless you're going to make this 48-inch tall print. And what I ask people to do is, well, find a little cascade, find some little piece of it that's interesting, and narrow it down. Again, make it a single subject. And I know you're going to talk to Rick Salmon about this, and I'm going to steal a little bit of his thunder. Uh, Rick's buddy of both of ours, so he <laughs> won't mind. Uh, but pay attention to the composition and how you're framing the element. Make sure that, for example, let's say you've got an animal or a bird. You've got to have space in front of the face, whichever way the animal is facing. It needs a place to go. And this works in cinematography with you and video as well. If you've got someone looking off to the left, make sure there's space for them to look into. Same thing with an animal. If you have a bird that's flying into the right side of the frame, it actually looks like he's going to crash into it. Mm -hmm. And you, you and I have both done a lot of bird photography. They need space. So if you're doing animals or people, they need some place in the environment to fit. Yeah. So you've really got to be careful with that composition and framing when you're doing that. Absolutely. And I think, uh, like you said, not to steal too much of the thunder, because I'm going to talk to Rick about composition in uh, what's probably going to be our next episode. But um, there's been a lot of talk lately about composition and how there's no rules and there shouldn't be any rules. And... I agree that in an artistic pursuit like photography, you have to go beyond the rules. But in my opinion, to say that you don't, you shouldn't know the rules is like saying you shouldn't know what F2, the difference between F2.8 and F8 is, you know, know what the tools are so that they get out of your way and you can just respond creatively to what you're seeing. 
Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of times when the rules, or really, I mean, let's think of them as guidelines. Mm -hmm. there's, there's no photography police that are going to come and smack you around. Absolutely. Uh, but knowing what the rule of thirds is or the golden mean is, uh, as far as placement of horizon and the subject, is a good starting point. Yes, you want to break the rules, but know when and why to break the rules and understand why you are breaking the rules to create a better photograph. Sure, sure. And I think with, with anything, with, like you said, guidelines, I can refer to them as elements. They're elements of composition. Um, just like to a painter, the elements might be a brush and red and blue and yellow paint. Those are elements. You're not going to use them all every time, but you need to know how the, all those things work together. Absolutely. Um, and if you have some sort of guidelines, then you can practice because not everyone is blessed with the quote, good eye. You know what I mean? You hear people like, oh, he's got a really good eye. Well, not everybody has a good eye, but that doesn't mean that you're just destined to be, you know, to make bad photographs. You can practice these elements, these guidelines and, you know, internalize them just like you could, you can learn how to draw, you can learn how to sketch uh, just by practicing and, and, you know, there are techniques that you can learn. So I think that to tell beginning photographers, especially like you don't need to study composition is like saying, well, you don't need to know how the camera works. Yeah, I've, I, if, if it's there are some people, as you mentioned, that kind of have an innate sense of composition. Mm -hmm. They know what looks right to their eye, but not everybody has that. So you do need to learn it. Uh, you also need to understand that you're probably going to have to crop because not every photograph works in the aspect ratio that your camera presents it to you. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's going to look better as a square photograph. Maybe it's going to look better as a, as a real long, long, wide panoramic. I like to crop the image to what the image needs. So if you've got this beautiful mountain range and a sky that's not doing a whole lot, well, get rid of the sky. Sure. There's no reason for, be there, for it to be there. If the element in the image isn't doing anything to add to the image, get rid of it. So yep. be merciless in that kind of, in that cropping. Uh, the other thing is, yeah, I got to pay attention to where the light's coming from. Uh, so, is it directly in front of you? Is it directly overhead? Is it over your shoulder? Is it directly behind you? And I hate to say this, but sometimes the answer is there is not a great Vista photograph to be had. Sometimes the answer is no. You know, if you're if you're at the Grand Canyon in the middle of the afternoon, if it's noon at the Grand Canyon and there's not a cloud around, shooting a big giant panoramic of the Grand Canyon is going to be pretty boring. That's true. So when something like that happens, look to the macro. Look for little patterns. Look for maybe a little foreground element. Maybe there's a really cool little pine tree, and you'll have the canyon off in the distance. Uh, maybe maybe even out of focus, but just as a sense of the place. So sometimes the answer is the photograph that you want isn't available. You're right. going to have to come back. Yeah, and that's, that's why when we lead workshops, I go back in, to the same places almost every year, at least every other year, mm -hmm. because the light's different every time. Right. And, and uh, unfortunately, sometimes you're going to go to some place and it's going to be a once-in-a-lifetime trip. So you want to make the most of it. But if you're a photographer, if you're real serious about traveling – and getting travel photography, chances are you're going to go back to some of the same places. And I find that the more I return, the better photographs I get each time. Because sure. I got the basic stuff out of the way. Because everybody wants to shoot that one iconic shot of something, you know, the Grand Tetons, or the slot canyons in Arizona, or Half Dome in Yosemite. But after you've gotten past that, 
then you can stop and look around. And I find myself shooting much less, but much better. So when I come back from a trip, I don't have 5,000 images to sort through. I might have 500. Right. Uh, and that also leads into, unfortunately, you're going to have to know how to do some software editing. You're going to need Photoshop elements at the least or Lightroom or something like that because your camera doesn't see the way you see. Your camera has a limited dynamic range compared to your eyes. So you might see a great scene and you look at it, if you shoot it correctly, you look at it on the back of your camera, it looks awful. Shadows are too deep. The highlights are too bright. You need to be able to adjust those so that you can make that image look like your eyes saw it, not necessarily like the camera saw. If it's the middle of the afternoon and it's a well-lit scene with the sun over your right shoulder, it's going to work great. But if you've got a real high contrast scene, your camera just doesn't do a great job of capturing those. And you're going to have to know how to do some adjustments to make it look the way you saw it. Sure. And I think with that, too, um, understanding how the camera sees and knowing that it doesn't see the way that your eye does and it can't make the same sort of um, contributions that your eye does to make up for things that's that are lacking in the scene. Um, shooting subjects that are more appropriate to the light that you're shooting in definitely helps with that on the front end. Uh, like you said, if you're trying to shoot the Grand Canyon at, at noon on a cloudless day, you're not going to shoot the big vista, but you can still make pictures. Absolutely. You, you'll just, you're just going to adjust what you're shooting based on the light. Um, because basically, you know, let's face it, a lot of us that travel, you know, we might be traveling with our families. That, you know, we're not always on photo safaris where we can come at the ideal time. And, um, and I'm sure that that counts for a lot of the listeners, too. So you have to sort of you're not always going to be able to get up and, you know, be on set an hour before sunrise to get the perfect light for everything. So it's important to practice those things and get used to, OK, the light is not ideal for the shot that I would like to make. So how do I how do I adjust that and and shoot different things? Like you said, macro subjects or um, I really like using long lenses for landscapes. Because it's such a it's a natural thing for me to shoot the big wide shot, so I, I'll grab the big wide shot. But then I want to get out my you know seventy to two hundred equivalent and, and pick out little details and and the things that really turn me on about what I'm seeing, you know, that aren't just the whole sort of unit as as a whole. Um, and and you mentioned um, you know getting your shots out of the way, getting those sort of basic shots out of the way. I call it distilling the scene. Okay. All right. So I, I call it premature photoation. <laughs> well, that's funnier for sure. But, um, yeah, I remember the first time I went to Grand Canyon. We'll stay on that subject. I just sat for about an hour without even having my camera out and just looked. And because, you know, you walk up there and you can make the picture. Okay. Here's the Grand Canyon. It's beautiful. Right. So what's, what's my picture of Grand Canyon going to be? Mm -hmm. You know, and just, just to, to say we were talking before we went on the air about just putting the camera away and really just looking and seeing what's there and what the light's doing and what it is about that scene that that speaks to you personally. Um, and I think I always recommend for beginning photographers to take that shot, take the the postcard shot and just shoot all those sort of natural. OK, I see this. I'm going to shoot it. I'm going to shoot it. Get that out of your system. And then an hour later, when you're still standing there photographing the same thing, then you're going to get into things that that are specific to what you see and how your eyes work and and your own sort of creativity. I see that when we do photo workshops, we'll get to some iconic place and everybody wants to get the photograph. And basically, I'll tell everybody, just go ahead, shoot. I'll come see you in 10 minutes. Yeah. Get it out of your system. 
okay, now let's, you've gotten your, your snapshots. Now let's make some photographs. Let's, let's make those adjustments. Let's change your point of view. Let's really decide what it is that you're after. And how can you put your imprint? How can you put something of you in that photograph? Mm-hmm. Because you might, we've all seen those iconic shots of the, the barns in Grand Teton or some of the art, like the arches and Canyonlands and an Arches National Park. Everybody shoots the same thing. What can you do to put some kind of unique spin on it or put your point of view? And it's possible. Even though these places have been photographed hundreds of thousands of times, if not millions of times, you can still come away with something unique because chances are the, the spot you're in the atmospheric conditions, the time of day, and the, the day of the year are going to be unique pretty much all the time, which yeah. is why, again, if you're going back to the same place, you're going to get dramatically different shots. I go to Monument Valley probably an average of once a year, and it's such an incredible place. Never does it look the same. Mm-hmm. The cloudscapes are different. Uh, if you're lucky to get a rainstorm, that's one of the most spectacular times to be there. Right. You just have to, again, look to see what's available to you. And as you said, I think one of the most important things is when you first get in a place, walk around. Take a look. What is it that speaks to you? Soak in the place a little bit. Watch what the light's doing. Then take the camera out. And think about when you're shooting. Think about why you're doing this. And then when you're done, I also recommend put the damn camera away. Just put it away and sit down. Because if this is a a once-in-a-lifetime place... You, you spent all that time and money to get there. Enjoy it. Soak it in. It's, you know, it's, it's a gift to go to some of the places we're able to go to. Also, when you do need to go do your editing later, or if you're going to just take more photographs later, it gives you a better sense of the place. And when you understand that, you're going to be better at capturing that in your image. Mm-hmm. And sure. when you have a great image like that, to me, what is, what is a home run in an image is, first of all, the viewer knows exactly what it is that you wanted them to see. It's obvious. Your eye goes right to certain places, and that's what you're sharing with them. When you get the foreground, mid, and distant elements, when you've got that three-dimensionality to the image, and when they can practically sense, they can, they can use their other senses. And one of the great quotes is, learning to hear with your eyes. And when you can do that, when you have a photograph where you can actually sense maybe the smell of the dirt or the breeze or the kind of that rustling of flowing water, when that gets added into a photograph, then that's when you've hit a home run. Right. I totally agree. Now, I will add to the, to the putting the camera away um, conversation that if you're seeing light that is the most amazing thing that you've ever seen, then grab the camera out. I th- oh, sure. I've been reading uh, Jay Maisel's new book, Light, Gesture, and Color, which is awesome. And and I learned more just flipping through that book than I did in, in most classes I've taken. But one of the things uh, that he says is drop everything for good light. Yes. And, and so I, I think that's in a nutshell. If you're driving along and you see something, you're in a part of the country, part of the world that you've never been before, and you see something, you go, oh, my God, I've never seen anything like that before. Pull the car over. Mm-hmm. And, and take the picture. When I when I'm on road trips, my camera is literally in my lap. Uh, and here's another just a just a weird tip for travel photography. When you're on a road trip, use a put a long lens on the camera. I usually I use the Lumix camera, so I have the 35 to 100, so it's a 70 to 200 equivalent lens. Mm-hmm. Because when you're looking out the window, you're not looking at 
everything. You're looking at things on the horizon because you're, you know, you're driving the car. So you're not just taking in these wide vistas. You're, you're picking out details as you go. So chances are, if you need to pick up the camera and throw it out the window, you want to grab something that's kind of far off in the distance. That's been my experience anyway. Um, too many times I've, I've had ended up with pictures of the dashboard because I've got the wrong <laughs> lens on the camera. So, um, but, um, yeah, be ready to shoot at a moment's notice and know that if you see something amazing going this way, it's not going to be like that when you come back that way tomorrow. No, no. Uh, fortunately for me, I have, I have one great advantage over a lot of photographers. I'm married to a photographer. Mm, nice. So my wife truly understands. She teaches workshops with me. Mm-hmm. So sometimes just to exactly to your point, we'll be driving along and all of a sudden, and I do the driving, another story, uh, <laughs> all of a sudden I'll go flying off the road, yeah. slam on the brakes and jump out of the car. Yeah. And she knows exactly what's going on. It's a photographic emergency. We've just, <laughs> there's, there's some kind of lights, just something that presented itself. And I've gotten some of my greatest images that way, including one right down the street from my house. We went to get ice cream. And where I live, I live in, in uh, upstate New York, about an hour and a half west of New York City. And it's a lot of farm, a lot of dairy farms, a lot of horse farms. And there's a creamery where we go get this homemade ice cream all the time. And down at the bottom of this hill is the farm where the cows are, that these people that own this creamery. So it was a, a setting sun and just drove along and the sun appeared in between the silos of this farm. And I... I had my camera in the car and I'm driving along. I slam on the brakes and I back up a little bit. So I had just a little piece of the sun around the corner, put my lens on F22. So I got that starburst Mm -hmm. and I've got an image that is now all over town. The town uses it on their, their website. The creamery has a big print of it hanging in there. It's all over the place. And it was just being ready. Yep. That's, that's, yeah, if you don't have, you know, they always say the best and the best camera. Is the one that you got with you. One you have with you. That's right. Um, my buddy Kevin Ames always has his his big professional DSLR with the big lens on it, and and it seems kind of funny, but he's he's ready to make pictures, man. He'll get shots that that you're not going to get because the rest of us have our stuff in the car and we're just having a drink or something. Kevin's got his camera on the table. My buddy Bob Coates is the same way. He's um, he's one of our uh, Lumix Luminary team members, and at, at our team meetings, Bob is always the guy that's he'll be like, "Oh, I'll be right back," and he'll. We're like, what are you, we're having dinner. What are you doing? And he'll come back and he's like, look, this, look at these amazing pictures I just got. Cause he's, he's got his camera with him. We're like, geez, man, that's, <laughs> well, that's one of the beauties of, of all of us that have switched over to the mirrorless systems. Sure. We've got a much more compact system. That's a lot easier to carry around. And I've had that happen too. I was doing a workshop in Monument Valley and there's a, there's a hotel in the park now called the view mm-hmm. because every room has a view out onto the Monument Valley floor. Wow. And there's a restaurant that has an overview. So we're having dinner and the sun is setting and there's conversation going on and all of a sudden everybody stops. And I look out the window and we all jumped up with our cameras and ran outside because the valley turned almost purple wow. uh, the way the light was illuminating the buttes. So we all had our cameras with us yeah, and, and they got some phenomenal images. So you got to be ready. You do. You do. I, down in, uh, in Costa Rica two years ago, um, one of the venues that we that we use, one of the hotels that we use called Via Blanca, it's in the cloud forest. So nine out of ten times, you're in the clouds. It's you're not you're not getting big, you know, 
long vistas and, and nice views. Well, this one morning I got up and you could see 70 kilometers away to all the way to the Arnal volcano. And I've seen that twice. I've been there mm. a half a dozen times and I've seen that maybe twice, two or three times. And so I'm, I'm, I was shooting it for a while. And one of our uh, guests was walking up the hill. He was going to go, he had his iPad. He was going to go read the paper, sit in the lobby, use the Wi-Fi. And I said, Hey man, you can see the volcano, you know, in the distance, you might want to grab your shot. Oh, I'll shoot it tomorrow. And I said, <laughs> I don't think you will. I think this is the time you need to go get your camera right now. Beautiful morning. Sure enough, that was the last time we saw it, the, mm. the four days that we were there. So like you said, you got to be ready. Well, something that goes along with that, uh, that we were talking about earlier, when these opportunities present, you have to know your camera. You got to understand how your gear performs. You got to know how it's going to react in a certain situation. Really, the ultimate goal is for you to get the camera out of the way from right. you capturing that image. Well, you tell, me, know tell me about that. In, you know, in this day and age, you could, you could buy virtually any camera put it on the green box, put it on full auto, and, and it'll make a picture eight out of 10 times that's that's really great. So tell me some advantages of actually learning how to use your machine. Well, when you take control of the camera, you know, your camera doesn't know what you're taking a picture of. It just gonna kind of look, okay, I'm gonna average this thing out to a middle gray. And yeah, if, depending on what you're focusing on, it might weight the exposure to that. And the cameras work in those manual, like those automatic modes, like you mentioned, great if it's mid-afternoon, everything's well lit, you don't have a great contrast range, and the sun's over your shoulder. <clears throat> However, when you hit a high contrast scene, which are generally the most dramatic, your camera fails because, again, it's averaging everything out to that middle gray. So if you have a white bird on a black background, the, all the plumage in the bird's going to disappear. Conversely, if you're shooting out in the snow, you probably, I don't know if you guys have any snow yet. We've actually got some snow the other day. But if, if I go out in the backyard and shoot in the snow with the sun out and don't take control of my camera, it's going to be grossly underexposed because the snow is so white. It's so reflective. So you have to understand these things that you can override and take control of your camera. Learn to use things like the histogram and what it means. Um, understand that histogram is going to look different depending on the scene, but understanding what that means will take you a long way to getting a better image. And again, with our, with our mirrorless cameras, you get that option for the live view all the time. So you can actually see what the image you're going to get. However, they're not perfect. There's still danger of, you know, you clipping highlights. And, and the worst thing you can do to a digital file is to blow out those highlights. Yeah. Once the cloud details are gone, they're gone. You're never bringing them back. So it's important to understand what your camera can do so that you don't miss that great shot. Absolutely. And and you mentioned that your camera wants everything to be medium. And, yes. and I always tell my beginning students, no, no picture ever was made because, wow, look how medium that is. <laughs> Isn't that great? Look how medium. As you mentioned, there's always some some great contrast. It's some. Uh, it's it's a darkness or a brightness or something that, that you need to be able to steer the camera towards making the image that you want. Yeah, and you got to keep exploring. You mentioned Jay Maisel. Uh, uh, I actually had the the luxury, I guess. Uh, Jay gave me a tour through his house and studio. Wow. And uh, about having the lens in your camera, in your camera, in your car all the time. Uh, I don't consider myself a wildlife photographer because I know wildlife photographers, and these are the guys that will sit for three days in a blind in the snow waiting for a fox to jump the right way. <laughs> right. 
I'm, I'm sorry. I don't have much tough time in my life for that. I will shoot. I am happy to shoot wildlife. I love doing it, but they're going to have to show up where I'm going. Yeah. I mean, I'll make the effort, but if they're not there, I'm moving along. <laughs> Jay takes that to the other extreme. Jay told me once that his idea of, of wildlife and even landscape photography is what can he shoot by lowering the driver's side window in his car? <laughs> yep. I could see that. That's funny. not his thing. But, you know, I, one of the things I, I would kind of want to almost end with is the most important thing, I think, when you're doing photography is to try to visualize what the final image is going to look like. When you take this image, what are you going to do with it? Is it just going to go online or is it something you're going to want to print and hang in your house or sell or sell commercially? You have to understand what this thing is going to look like as a print. If you're shooting and we go, we keep going back to the Grand Canyon, probably not actually the greatest example. I only have one shot of the Grand Canyon that I've printed that I really like. It's 90 inches across mm-hmm. because you can't translate the Grand Canyon into no. an eight by 10. Just don't even bother. Yeah. Other places you can get by with smaller things. So you've got to shoot to how you're going to use the file. So if you're going to make yourself a 10 by 10, you're going to have to simplify the subject. If you're going to make a 20 by 30 or bigger, 24 by 36, then you can start to get the big vistas, the big mountainscapes. But don't waste your time doing that as an 8 by 10. If you want to print a bunch of 8 by 10s, simplify Pick a small detail, like you mentioned. Uh, I, I do a lot of work in the Grand Teton. I, I go there every year because it's one of my favorite places to shoot. And I do have some great, really big prints. that I have, I have a 60-inch print hanging in my living room of the whole range. But I started thinking last time I was out there, what can I do to make something more decorative that can be 10 by 10s or 12 by 12s? So I had a 70 to 400 lens on my camera and beautiful cloudscapes. Uh, There was a snowfall the night before, so all the peaks were covered in snow and there were clouds wrapped around and the sun came out. It was gorgeous. Yeah. So I sat on the terrace of the Teton Lodge and zoomed in all the way with that lens and started shooting detail shots of each of the peaks. Nice. So that I could then make a series of images, four or six of them, that are just designed to be 10 inches or 12 inches square. Mm Mm-hmm in these individual prints and it actually came out, came out absolutely spectacular. Nice. Nice. And you see that a lot too. And, you know, somebody has got their photos in their Twitter stream, for example, you know, if it's some big Vista, it, it almost doesn't read you, the, at that point, the composition is really important because it's got to read, you know, a couple inches sure. across. Yeah. So that's, that's a really good tip. Well, speaking of wrapping it up, I'm going to hit you with my, uh, my usual five questions and the first two are kind of together. So what's your current, uh, go-to photo gear, and how has that changed in the last year? Oh, interesting question. Uh, as you know, I, I am part of the Sony uh, Artisans of Imagery program, and I've been a Sony shooter for a couple of years. And I was shooting the Alpha 99 for years, which is a big-bodied camera. It's like uh, you know, it's like the size of the Nikon D800 and the Canon 5D Mark III. And it's an incredible camera, but it's a beast when you start throwing 70 to 200 and 70 to 400 lenses on it. I switched over this past year to the Sony a7R, which is the small mirrorless 36 megapixel camera. And that has changed my world. Uh, Having that small a camera and having the weight be less than half, since we travel a lot, 
you know what it's like trying to get gear on an airplane. Yep. And especially when you get one of those regional jets and you end up, it's just you and your bag and, you know, you've got no room for this four-hour flight. Having a smaller bag allows me to carry one more gear and in a smaller package. Yeah. And my gear stays with me all the time. And I can't imagine switching at this point. Yeah. It's um, it's the big buzz. I did an event last night uh, here in Atlanta and uh-huh. everybody wanted to talk about mirrorless cameras. Everybody's in, they, they want to know, um, can you really use those to make pictures? And, uh, you know, you're not, you're not sacrificing any quality. No. And when you have good glass on these good cameras, you need good glass on a 36 megapixel sensor. No doubt. Uh, but I've, as I mentioned, I've got a 60 inch print hanging in my living room and it is spectacular. Yep. Yep. Well, um, what do you do on the road to make your hotel room or your, uh, tent or whatever, feel like a home away from home? A tent. It's interesting. <laughs> now, I've got, I'm sorry. I've got to have a blow dryer. Uh, <laughs> um, Mike, uh, not everybody does this, but my computer goes with me everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I've got my computer and iPad. And when I get done with the day shooting, I always download my images immediately. So it's kind of like carrying my little office around with me. Mm-hmm. And we've both, my wife and I both have our iPads and our Kindles uh, for reading and keeping up for that kind of thing. So we can relax a bit. Uh, but we love what we do. It's it's photography. We're not digging ditches for a living, <laughs> right. so we consider ourselves very fortunate. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure make taking... sure we have the gear we we need with us to yeah. to carry it to the end. And maybe you miss something, or maybe you realize, oh, I didn't see that when I took that shot, uh, and want to go back to a place. And another thing that oh, just as a as a little sidebar, the other thing I always recommend to people is when you see a great vista, you see a great shot, do take it, but before you leave, turn around. Look behind you, mm-hmm. because a lot of times there's something behind you that's a secondary thing that you missed that might be a great photograph. Yep, that's a good tip. Well, from a photography standpoint, what's your favorite place that you visited lately? Oh, boy. You know, like you, I'm really fortunate. Uh, I get to travel a lot. Uh, it, I, it's hard to imagine a more photogenic spot than Grand Teton. Mm. Uh, as I mentioned, I keep going back there. I'll be back there again uh, this September. Um, it, there's just something about it. I, I don't understand what it is. There's something to me when I see these incredible, beautiful, beautiful mountains with the their snow caps uh, and the clouds swirling around the tops of them. There's something that just relaxes me. My shoulders drop, hmm. and, and I, I just can't stop staring at it. And, you know, we, we have to go to Las Vegas a lot for trade shows. I'll be there again soon. My favorite thing about Las Vegas is leaving Las Vegas. <laughs> I love to get in the car and take that drive north into northern Arizona and into Utah. And when I do that, I find my just my breathing slows. I start to relax. There's not the hustle and bustle. And I found, I don't know if this is sad or good, you're younger than I am, that as I've gotten older, I'm no longer an adrenaline junkie. I've become a peace and quiet junkie. Mm-hmm. And that, there's nothing to me more relaxing than that. Nice. Well, how about uh, what's next on the horizon for you? What are you looking forward to shooting next? Well, I'll be heading back to Arizona mm-hmm. uh, in end of March. I'll be doing uh, the Slot Canyons, which everybody is very, uh, you know, every, everybody wants to go there. The beams of light coming through the canyons. Oh, yeah. Uh, we'll be staying in Lake Powell. Uh, Horseshoe Bend uh, is one. If you, Have you shot Horseshoe Bend? I haven't. Horseshoe Bend might be one of the most spectacular things you could ever see. 
Uh, it's, it's when you first come up to it and you don't see it until you're right on top of it. And it's just a thousand feet down this bend in the Colorado river. Uh, it's one of the most awesome things I've ever seen. So I'm looking forward to getting back there. And it's also on part of that trip. We'll be back to Monument Valley. Nice. Very cool. Well, Joe, thanks a lot for being on the show, man. Where can people find out more about you online and, uh, where would you have them go? Um, well, my website, uh, which just was updated and is about to do another update because my 2015 resolution is to start to produce more content that I can put online, you know, blog posts, that kind of thing, little mm-hmm. quick how-tos. Uh, but right now, and, and continue, it'll always be JoeBradyPhotography.com. Okay, great. And, th- and you have links to your uh, YouTube channel on there, I'm sure? Yes. Yeah, you, you've got to take a look at Joe's uh extensive library of of youtube tutorials they're not too long they're very informative um you do a great job with those man uh, but thanks for being on the show and i'll talk to you soon hey rob thanks uh good to see you again and i guess i'll see you in florida in a couple weeks yep see you there and if you like what you're hearing on your itinerary please tell all your friends about it and stop by itunes and leave us some positive feedback and uh, thanks for listening i'll see you next week you've been listening to your itinerary with rob knight Head over to thisweekinphoto.com to check out the other TWIP shows and get on our mailing list. Become a TWIP member to get exclusive benefits and member pricing on TWIP products and workshops. Start planning your next adventure, and we'll see you next week on Your Itinerary for travel and photography.